there is a bone in Gilead to make the wounded Choir Master, to Yaruthin, a Psalm of David. I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned then I spoke with my tongue. O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Selah. Surely a man goes about as a shadow, Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Selah. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me, that I may smile again, before I depart and am no more. Psalm 39 in the ESV. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Balm and Gilead podcast. I am one of your hosts, uh, Brian Emerson, often called Jimerson by those who care. Uh, sitting over to the, uh, to the west is, is my good friend Grant. Hello. Welcome. To the further east is a good friend of mine, Justin. Hey, hey. And in between me and Justin is uh, is another friend of mine from uh, from several years back. His name is Cody Curtis. Hello. I guess we weren't like crazy good friends, but I met you at a Switchfoot concert once. Does that count? That's right. That, that Everybody at Switchfoot <laughs> is just friends automatically. That is you know, true. If you're at the Switchfoot concert, you're all friends. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This is this is Cody. He is the the writer, the composer for the band Solos. And uh they are working on setting every epistle to music. And uh they started off with Romans, they did Hebrews and Jude. And forthcoming is Philippians. Uh he is a right. music teacher at Union University, which is where we we both actually went to college there together and uh, you mm-hmm. directed, uh, I think, Chapel. Uh, you did the music for for the Contemporary Chapel while while I was there. I, that's right, I did that. Yeah. And uh, you used to for seven years. You were the one of the residence directors there. You had access to all of the empty dorm rooms and unused mattresses, and you built what was called the Mattress Fort Studios. And that is <laughs> yep. that is how we have this this uh, this great music. And uh, welcome. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. All right. So uh, one of the things that we like to do here when we have when we have a guest on is we like to ask cool questions concerning music. So you write really good music. What I, I assume you listen to really good music. So if you would please share that with us um, for personal listening, kind of what what are some of your favorite songs, say favorite bands? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, I do try to listen to music a lot. It's 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 good for, for many ways, but especially for musicians, just to see what else is out there. Uh, I grew up listening to a lot of, of music. I was raised on rock and roll primarily. I remember as a kid, I'd riding in the car with my dad, and he just always have it on the classic rock station. And so I grew up with with all those bands, and still to this day, uh, I love listening to um, you know to anything that would fall into that category. The bands that were most influential to me, and I, and I. I I think the bands that I still listen to a lot would be um, the Beatles. I recently went through, we, we bought a new car. Um, we were in a car wreck a, a year and a half or so. So we had Sirius XM for like the three month package deal. And then they had the Beatles channel on there and it just renewed my love and respect for the Beatles. And so I'm still just, just working my way through all those songs more and more. Um, Pink Floyd has always been a, a, a big influencer in my, my composing. So, um, lately I've been digging back into some of their stuff. Uh, other things, uh, see, uh, Abigail Washburn is an artist I recently discovered, really enjoy her music. It's more of a folk type of, of music. Arcadian Wild, I saw them in concert, uh, recently. They came to, to Union and, and played and, uh, great stuff going on with them. Um, listen to a lot of classical music for, for teaching and just for my own enjoyment. And there aren't many composers I don't enjoy listening to and with, with Western art music, but Debussy, uh, Stravinsky are some of my, my go-tos. Um, let's see. Yeah. Just tons and tons of, of stuff. And I try to listen to a diversity, um, because I think it's it's like I said, it's good for as a composer to be to be listening to um, a lot of different stuff, and so I kind of hop back and forth across all these different different styles, and just try to find yeah, as you said, try to find good music, and that's the that's the difficulty at times to, to do. Absolutely. Um, so in uh, one of the things we talk about here as well is uh, church music, and so when you're in mm-hmm. church, what are the songs that that you love? hearing the church sing out to, and what are the songs that you just enjoy just singing out yourself? Most of the, those types of songs would, would come from hymns. Uh, we, we sing, sing primarily hymns at, at our church and that's nothing against the contemporary stuff by any means, but 
it's it's nice as as the music minister at, at our church to just have a book that um, it's gone through a committee and the committee has has selected songs that have good theology in them that are clear that match well with with tunes. And so there are a handful in there that I think have resonated well with our our congregation. Um, yeah, I mean, it as well as is as one that's always I think is, is powerful for us. Um, there's some songs we're doing even tomorrow as we're recording this tomorrow. It's going to be Sunday that um, that I'm just really excited about. Uh, that just speak speak very articulately and beautifully about the doctrines that we hold dearly. And I I think. In my experience, um, even if the music isn't anything, you know, special over the top uh, or showy, which it doesn't need to be, but just the the power of the words have, are, uh, are great at stirring our, our affections. So countless number of hymns, uh, but we also do some contemporary songs or some Getty uh, songs that are go-tos for us in Christ alone um, is great. Uh, the wisdom, the perfect wisdom of the Lord is another one that we've been doing a lot recently. Um, there is the... N- Yet not I, but Christ in me is one I have slowly been introducing to our our church. And um, it's just a beautiful, beautiful new hymn that uh, I think is, is very great at facilitating worship. But yes, um, we're, we're blessed to have no shortage of good songs written over the past centuries for the church to use in worship. And uh, we're, we're just blessed by Absolutely. that. There are some, those are some really good songs. Uh, I'm, I've been really enjoying that Yet Not I, but Christ in me as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely some solid music. Um, I really like, and maybe we'll get into this, I hope we will, the juxtaposition of all these different musical styles uh, within your music. I mean, you have classic rock, the Beatles, Pink Floyd, then you take a folk turn with uh, Abigail Washburn, uh, the Arcadian Wild, they're a new band to me. I will definitely check them out. But then, uh, you know, in reaching back to art music of, you know, the 20th century um, and Mm -hmm. 19th century, Stravinsky and W.C. Claude, how do you see that kind of influencing you? You mentioned how important it is for a composer to listen to music. Um, Where where does it kind of come out in the music that you write? Yeah, I I think that's important. Um, See, I'm I'm atypical than a, a lot of people who are in musical academia I didn't, I didn't, wasn't raised on uh, playing piano. I didn't take piano lessons really until I got to college. And so my background is all in the classic rock stuff and pop music. I mean, I was, you know, I was raised in the nineties. So I was listening to any pop music that was, was on the radio. Uh, And it definitely shapes us as people, as listeners, and as, as musicians, those who who do write and play music, it really, it, it affects us. And so with me, I brought that into my major in music at Union, and then I was introduced into classical music, which I, I never, I never really loved classical music or what we call Western art music a lot. Uh, one is difficult to play on the piano, so that creates an aversion to it, and two, it's sometimes just feels antithetical to what you know popular music is offering you. Classical music has it's it's a different way of achieving those those goals, and. Um, when I did my bachelor's and my master's and my doctorate in composition, I was just thrown into the deep waters of, of this art music. And I learned to just love it so much. And um, I think with me as a composer, I'm not, I'm at home intertw- intertwining those different threads. People that they would see these as different threads of what the Beatles are doing or, you know, the Eagles are doing or whoever's doing. 
and how you know older composers um, what they're trying to accomplish. I, th- I think it's just it's all up for grabs. There there aren't as many walls as we think there are between musical styles, and if there are walls, there's nothing wrong with breaking them down stylistically. You need to I think respect the history, the tradition of of these styles. They all have an integrity of their own, and I, I try to be careful with that. But yes, absolutely, with my writing, you can see it very evident. It's I'm I'm not afraid to bring something from this tradition and fuse it with another tradition, especially with 20th century music. I'm a big fan of uh, of 20th century music, of music that people would probably not like, that's rather dissonant. But from a an academic standpoint, it's just fascinating. And I love the idea of trying to infuse, you know, taking a folk song, but then infusing some harmonies that kind of unsettle you a little bit. I mean, I think there's, there's, a, there's a place for that, especially when scripture music like I write uh, and worship music that I write. But yes, it's, it's, it's all of those things. You throw them into a pot and mix them together and try to be careful about what comes out. Yeah, I listened through uh, the entire album of Jude um, this afternoon and uh, the end of that track one, especially whenever it kind of comes out of the, the, the funky repetition stuff into the... Uh, uh-huh. But he lied, but they lied to us and you get that dissonance. <laughs> yeah, I, I can, I can feel that. And also yeah. when I think of your, I guess, classic rock, when you think of classic rock, you're thinking, well, you have not gone, come to that mountain. You've, you've come to Zion, to Zion mm-hmm. and that a nice, uh, yeah, uh, I, I love, I think Hebrews is probably my favorite of, of yours and, and the payoff, the payoff at the end. Bruce is amazing, <laughs> yes. but I like Jude better. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank I was you. hoping that we get into this <laughs> yes. argument, you know, which of the album I, Jude is by you know, not by far, but it is my favorite. But I can respect well, Jude a lot. I'm, I'm interested to. I'm always curious when people say they like Jude because, and we might talk about this later on. But Jude was an intentional, different direction. It was mm-hmm. a very. It felt for me at least a, a bold move compositionally, and I I went into it thinking. People probably won't like this, but I I thought it was the best way to go for our third album. Um, and so I'm I'm kind of when people say that they they like it, especially when they like it more than either Romans or Hebrews, I'm I'm surprised by that, but pleasantly yeah. surprised. I, I I love all of them, I really do. But the reason I like Jude the the kind of like above, and I, I'll admit, like um, Hebrews was my favorite for a long time. And the first listen through of Jude, when it, when it came out, I was like, what is this? This is really different. But then like the second and the third, and it just kept growing on me. Um, yeah. What it is about Jude is it's so riveting. You cannot turn away from it. It grabs you uh-huh. and it just pulls you in. It makes you listen. And the yeah. others have elements of that and they are really really interesting albums, but Jude takes it to a whole nother level. Um, I mean, like I, uh, I have a question about this a little bit later on, but it feels so cinematic. Like I'm watching a story unfold before me mm-hmm. and it, it, you know, it forces like I, the times I catch myself, like going back to the Bible while listening to that album, it, you know, it is, is quite a bit. It has some of the most like luscious metaphors in it, right? Waterless clouds yeah. and uh, hidden right, reefs yeah. and wandering stars to describe these false teachers that have come into the church. 
Yeah, it's really it's really beautiful language that Jude uses to describe such terrible people. Yeah. 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 It's it's that's that's that fascinated me as I, as when I was composing, trying to set music to it. Yeah, it's 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 a beautiful letter. Yeah. Absolutely. Um I did want to uh, talk a little bit about the the one that none of us have heard yet, and that is Philippians. Uh, it is yeah. Um, so one of the fascinating things about just the letter of Philippians for me is, I think tradition says that his, he was running out of parchment close to the end, and so he <laughs> uh, he had to make every word count. So you get to Philippians chapter four, and it's like every verse is an Awana's Bible memory verse. And uh, they're yeah. so potent. And, uh, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing how, uh, how your music kind of tackles that, that chapter four um, specifically. But uh, I wanted to kind of let you kind of share what we can expect a little bit, just however much you want to, uh, when we can expect it. Okay. And, and just uh, let us know how excited we can be. Yeah. Well, we, uh, as we as we record this, we are close to wrapping up um, recording and mixing. It's those are supposed to be separate, um, separate, separate stages in the process, but they have bled over. Um, I think such is the extent of Philippines. Not maybe not just Philippines, but I think all of our our albums they're they're bigger. They're bigger than I would like them to be. More tracks than I would like them to be. More instruments per track than I would like them to be. So it it just takes a long time, um, and I think also it boils down to wanting to have as much time as I can to to unpack these letters. So Philippians, it's I think it's going to be probably about twenty four tracks total to cover the four chapters. Um, which is when you start comparing that to Romans, was twenty three tracks but 16 chapters, Hebrews, I think it was 27, 28 tracks. Um, it's, it's always weird on, on the front end. I, I will say when I mapped out Philippians, I thought, well, 14 tracks is exactly how many I need to divide it because I approach it like a, a pastor or preacher would for a sermon series. You think, okay, this is a logical section break, another logical section break. But with Philippians, I think once I even had those 14 passages marked out, those divisions, what I wanted to do with Philippians was to give it time to breathe and maybe slow down my pace a little bit and um, I guess give myself a chance to to unpack some some of these these verses that are important. Um, and so, for example, uh, for the the hymn of Christ at Philippians two, Christ his humility and then his exaltation ultimately. Uh, for that passage, it's, it's such an important passage that I I'm, I'm devoting three songs to it, just uh, to look at it from three different point of points of view, because the first point of view really is it's 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 Paul giving us his first example of what it means to to live in a way that is uh, uh, live life honoring of the gospel and Christ is the first example, and I didn't want to I want to make the make sure the listener understood that for example that it's just he's an he's an example of humility. Um, but also we know that that passage is very important to us as believers. Philippians isn't really, it's not Paul's most Christological epistle. Um, and in fact, when he, he he delves into that in chapter two, it's it's for the function of giving us an example. Yet at the same time, it's such a beautiful moment that I wanted to uh, to hover. So then there's, there's tracks, two more tracks there that help us see the glories of of the passage, how Paul has written it. And then ultimately how it all ties into, into the gospel later on. So yeah, about 24 tracks and we're, we're getting close. It's, um, 
it it does it does hop around stylistically like our other projects do. It is characterized maybe more by uh, bluegrass folk music. But um, man, we uh, let's see. There's a hip hop song and a, a, like a pure hip hop song yes, that Shylin uh, co-wrote with me, and he 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 did the the vocals on it, um, which is fantastic. Very excited about that. Um, and that there's, I mean, there's electronic songs, there's chamber uh, music, there's orchestral music, there's instrumental, purely instrumental tracks on it. And, um, but yeah, so there's a, a diversity, but we're, we're, we're trying to, I wanted to capture more of the, the ruralness of Philippians and not that the Philippi in first century was, I mean, it was, it was a pretty big city. But um, I'm taking cues a lot from the founding of the church in Philippi, how Paul kind of stumbled upon these, you know, this group of ladies just worshiping the Lord down, you know, in, in a river. And I don't know, there's just a ruralness to it, I think, in that scene of, of its of its conception. And so kind of building upon that with uh, more of the bluegrass folksy folksy elements. Um, but yeah, and we're, we're, we're teaming up with a few other artists for this project. We're going to kind of cast it more as like a Solos and Friends CD. And the reason for that is, as you know, if you've, you've read a Philippians, it's, uh, it is certainly an epistle, but it's, it's, it's very, very much a friendship letter. His tone is warm. He knows these people. Uh, he is, I don't know, it's just, there's a lot of affection in Paul's words. And so I thought to to underscore that element of the album, um, we're going to make it kind of solos and friends. So um, Andrew Peterson is singing a song, Taylor Linhart, um, Dennis Parker, and then Shylin as well. So we got four guest artists, in addition to Thompson and Kelsey, who are still my favorites. They'll, they'll be doing doing the vocals for this album. Nice. But yeah, we're um, we're excited to to get it out for people to listen to. I'm hoping to have it out by September. My goal was August, but the Lord's providence has pushed it back, and he he might push it back even further. We just want to make sure that we get it in the best shape that we can and don't rush into it. But we're we're getting close. Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and I know you uh, you mentioned the mixing process, and that perks my ears. Um, I know you mentioned Logic uh, mm-hmm. as we were getting ready, uh, the uh, recording tool, yeah. and I'm over in Pro Tools right now. So the kind of question I would have for you is, do you get to have a hand in the mixing process uh, with your music? I do. I have uh, enough of a hand in it than I think that I should, mm-hmm. which is not much. So I I wear a lot of hats with solos, and um, the hats that I wish I didn't wear is that I, I engineer and produce all of the music. Um, we recorded all here. Uh, I don't know if the video live goes out for people to see, but the room that I'm currently talking in is also our recording studio. It is a converted uh, attic. This is We finally have a house. We're off campus of Union's campus, but we do record everything by ourselves. And we got into that because recording albums cost mm. a lot of money and we didn't have a lot of money. And we we still don't for for what we what we do. Um, but yeah, so I, I engineer it, which is not my greatest skill, but mixing really is very difficult to do well. You can, you can capture all the right sounds, put them in all the right instruments. And if they're not put in the right place spatially and on a stereo, I think a stereo, stereo um, spectrum or just with reverb and everything, then it's just going to sound terrible. And so I entrust this to my friend in Nashville who has great ears, uh, who supports solos wholeheartedly. And he's very gracious to 
to let me to work towards my visions of vision of, of each song. And they're crazy visions. And that's one of his name is Dewey Boyd. If anybody listening is ever wanting to collaborate with a great mixer, uh, check out Dewey Boyd in Asheville. Um, but he's very he 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 takes time to understand what I'm trying to accomplish with each song, even though they're they're bizarre, and uh, we work together to try to find the right spot. Him making it sound as good as possible, and me being adventurous and imaginative, and trying to take take risks as well. So it's it's a it's a good pairing. On my own, it would it would sound terrible. I promise you that would make <laughs> me. But I get I he he mixes it, sends me the that current mix, and I give him feedback, and we we go back and forth, and that's where we are now. We've got about. 15 songs back that are, you know, have mi- their first mix done. That's awesome. Yes. Yeah. That's, it's kind of a, a rare kind of relationship that you described there. Cause a lot of times when you're working with a studio, you, you may not be able to have that kind of back and forth and great teamwork that you're describing. So it's yeah. great. And of course your music turns out sounding wonderful. So it's working. Well, I attribute that a lot to, to Dewey, but yes, that, that partnership that we have, it's slower. Um, sometimes I think, well, we should just, you know, throw thousands of dollars at this and just spend one week recording everything, be done, and it'll be great. The way we do it, it takes, I mean, it's like a year of writing and then a year of getting it all tracked and rehearsed and all of that stuff. But it gives us the time to really, I don't know, to flesh out the vision more fully. So yeah, it's slower, but I think it's better in the end. Yeah, oh, That's awesome. So I did have a, a question about um, specifically your, your first three projects. So you took Romans, which was a very hefty book, long book. Mm-hmm. You, then you took Hebrews, again, very long, very hefty book. And yeah. you followed them up with Jude. Mm-hmm. How, how did you have any aneurysms while trying to go from the broad to the narrow? Like, did, did, did you just have to completely stand on your head and, mm-hmm. and just rethink how, how the songwriting process works? Like, what, what was going through your mind when you're trying to kind of do the telescope, then to the microscope. Mm-hmm. The decision to do, to do Jude as our third album was, it was deliberate. Um, and it's, it's funny whenever I finish a project and I have to think, well, what's the next epistle we're going to do? I, it's hard to know which direction to go. Of course, there's no wrong decision. You know, you can't like say, ah, he, he just shouldn't have done that, that epistle. But I approached our third project in a way that, you know, with, with Romans and Hebrews, I think we laid down a, a pattern of how we, we, we take these albums and put them to, uh, these epistles and put them to music. And that's, that's great. Romans and Hebrews, they're, they're very similar in some ways. Um, but I also, as a composer, I wanted to intentionally go a completely different direction as, as much as I could. That made sense uh, with, with, with uh, our third project so that we didn't, I don't know, teach our listeners what to expect. I, I don't want our listeners to ever know what to expect with our, our music, other than that we are trying to create a faithful and compelling uh, experience taking you through scripture. But from a musical point of view, I wanted to, to go in a different direction. So Jude allowed me to do that. It's shorter, where that, as you said, the other ones are, are longer. And it's not just that they're long, it's that they are deep and thick and they take time to wade through the waters um, Jude is is really 
it's, it's just it's, it's, it just stands on the other other side of the uh, the spectrum. So that was one reason why I wanted to do Jude. Also, I thought it was the tone of it was was so different of of a letter. Hebrews and Romans are just I mean they're just glorious. It's just like they they compound on the glories of Christ, and it's just you know you're just crying more and more as you go through it because you realize how great our gospel is. And I think that's how Paul and the author of Hebrews are doing it with Jude. We're we're thrown into this this world where it's these these precious gospel truths that Paul and the author of Hebrews have laid out for us, now they're being threatened by false teachers. And so what do we do? We, we have to defend this. We have to fight for the faith. And um, I like that this letter probably lent itself a little bit more of a darkness aesthetically than the others did. And I thought that that's neat. I, I, I know this can sound weird, but I, I enjoy writing kind of darker music at times. I think music is just very well at of expressing maybe those more sorrowful types of, uh, or frightening types of emotions. Music certainly has the capacity to do that. So yes, um, that's why I picked Jude um, to, to do to do next. And it was very difficult to write. I think of all the four projects that we've done, Jude was, was the most difficult, which really on the surface makes zero sense because it's so short. I mean, I could have done it in one song and it had just been a short EP. But with this, yes, uh, going from the telescope to the microscope is, is a great analogy because it's zooming in. I can now go through verse by verse. I can take a verse and split it up into two parts if I wanted to. I don't know if I did that, but it really was going through uh, verse by verse and thinking about how to handle it. The challenge with Jude is that I still wanted it to be a you know a full-length album. And how do you do that? How do you... Um, how do you uh, think about the form of the letter and then turning it into a, a form of, of the album? Um, and I ultimately used a, um, I forget who it was, but someone wrote how you can see Jude in the form of a chiasm. If you all know what a chiasm mm-hmm. is, uh, it's just a literary device in which you know, a flow of thought folds out and then it reverses its trajectory. And you, like an ABA would be a miniature form of a, of a chiasm, AB. CBA would be uh, larger, and you can go go from that. And so I, I um, after research and tons and tons of study about Jude and trying to understand its main point, and then the way I wanted to tell the story, that's how I got into to mapping out Jude as I did. So it's seventeen tracks, but it's just one large chiasm, and, and the album artwork uh, tells you that the way that the songs are all kind of laid out, it opens, reaches its climax with woe cries, the literary climax, and then everything reverses. So there's every song has a mirror song. And so once I had knew, knew that I wanted to tell the story that way, it opened so many doors aesthetically, artistically for what I wanted to do. But um, yeah, it was it was a fun one to write and uh, just a letter that uh, has a dear place in my heart now of just it's, it's wonderful truth about how God does keep his people despite the presence of false teachers in the world. And ultimately, that's I think that's the beauty of the epistle. It's not that, you know, that we can debate and argue against false teachers and win these earthly battles that Christ his, and his kingdom will endure because he is our keeper and we are the kept. Yeah. It's beautiful. Can we expect any church songs in the future? Yes. After Philippians, my goal is to take a pause for these uh, epistle albums. And um, I don't know if Church Songs Volume 2 will be the next project. What I would like to do before that is, uh, as an idea I've had for a while, um, you know, so we, we've done Romans, Hebrews, Jude, and then Philippians. I would like to create a companion album for each of those. And the, the first one would just be the Hymns of Romans. And um, it's congregational songs um, that they're meant for 
for the church to use in, in worship services, but they they stem from the letter itself, so existing texts or existing tunes, or maybe new ones that I will write, and probably even borrowing material from the Romans album itself. But um, you know, our the main thrust of our our projects is we write presentational songs, and I, I I really enjoy doing that. I'm most comfortable in presentational world. Writing congregational songs is it's very difficult to do well because you're so boxed in. It's mm-hmm. a wonderful box to be in, but um, whenever you don't have have those those confines, um, I mean, the sky's the limit for what melodies I write and for what harmonies I use. But uh, we'd recognize that I think the. Church Songs Volume 1 was just, it wasn't a project that I put a lot of, uh, I don't know, I didn't have a lot of expect, expectation that people would really enjoy it. I just thought, I, I, my initial envision, uh, vision of solos was to make it so that we do congregational songs, we do songs for the church. And Romans was kind of this, uh, like two feet in uh, both worlds, trying to be congregational, trying to be presentational. Like um, he came to die was, uh, I thought oh, that, you know, church could, could maybe use that. And a few other songs thought, yeah, you know, these are songs that people can sing along to. But then when I got into Hebrews, I think I just completely abandoned all of that. And I said, we're not writing congregational songs. It's not what, it's not what this album is. Um, but since we've, we've done this for so long, and then I think church songs fell with someone in there, but people, have responded well to uh, those those little songs, Lord's Mighty King, um, and uh, in the Eventide, and so I think I I kind of had the uh, idea that there's just so much so much good congregational music out there. Why well, not? I don't even want to try to enter into that world, um, but I think the Lord has directed our steps to keep doing that, and so uh, I do hope in the next year to maybe release a small EP like that, and maybe Church Songs Volume Two will will come out as a few other songs I've just kind of been writing in the background for congregational use that I would like to do. And if the Lord permits it, we will um, we'll do something smaller like that. And that's nice because these projects are so big. I mean, they take two years to do something small. Sounds refreshing. And you could always you could always fall back on the on the Smoky Mountain in the Shadows Christmas album that we're all hoping for. Now I can't remember if that was you who initially tweeted that or something, <laughs> yeah, but I think, I think that is I think that is brilliant. And I have <laughs> thought about that. And unfortunately, this podcast is going to go public because I was just going to steal the idea. And now I've got to give you credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, no, just kidding. But that that is that is that is great. Um, yeah, and we've thought about a Christmas album too because you know everybody does that. But I, I always thought that Hebrews was our Christmas album. I think that's the way I would always put it because yeah. you can't get much better about the advent than the reason Christ came to, to be on this earth. That is and, and absolutely true. I think that's a good idea. That is absolutely true. Well, um, I'd like to get into our, our main topic. Um, so I, I have posed this question in a previous episode and it's, uh, does the music of the, specifically of the church song that we are kind of analyzing, does the music utilize prosody and surprise to grasp for objective beauty, accessibility, memorability, and an appropriate emotional connection? Um, in previous episodes, we have kind of unpacked the the latter half of of that the uh, the beauty, accessibility, memorability, and appropriate emotional connection. Um, but I I want to talk about those ideas of of prosody and surprise today. Um, it is, in my opinion, that those uh, those two important tools uh, 
you know, they help us to, when we're working, to, the, the prosody would be the, the working together of lyrics and music to communicate a single idea of which I think that, that especially in your Hebrews album, um, you just, you master that. Um, but also surprise, which I would define as the undistracted, unexpected elements that keep the listeners interested. Um, in the, the second section of the song, The Old, from the uh, Hebrews album, you utilize prosody so well when you uh, when you go into that bam 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 four times four times and then you have the the two with the ec- the echo and then the five times and then it goes back on so uh-huh. and it's this kill the bull offer the grain make a sacrifice to God and then do it again and then you do it again and you do it again. Yeah. And that the, the way you utilize the music to just stress the point of what the lyrics were saying, um, which is brilliant. And then in that third mm-hmm. section, I believe that you utilize surprise in a very interesting way when you say, what can wash away our sins, not the blood of animals. Oh, feeble is the stream that, that leaves our soul unclean. No creature can redeem, not the blood of animals. My kids love that one. Um, I think I sent you a recording of them singing it once. Uh, I think you did. Yeah. Back in the day. And so, uh, yeah, they, they, back when that first came out, we listened to that song, the, the, the old followed by the new every, every day. Cause my kids mm-hmm. enjoyed it so much, but, um, they call it look back, Jack. That was look back, Jack, <laughs> but that's, so that's kind of what I'm, I'm thinking about with, with prosody and surprise, you know, utilizing the, the music to, to work so well with the text and then throwing out things that are very interesting, but that are not distracting um, that keep us engaged and keep us interested and keep us listening. So I kind of want to just open the floor to you for a little bit and, and just ask you, you know, what are your thoughts on those two particular tools and, and are there any other tools that you would, uh, that you would think worthy to add to that list? Hmm. Well, great Great questions, great talking points, um, prosody and um, and surprise. When I when I talk, I, I, I teach at a university, and when I teach songwriting and composing, um, these are things that w- we do discuss. And I think they're often overlooked when it comes to music. We tend to focus on um, maybe the more superficial about, you know, does it have a good vibe? Does it have a good beat? Um, does the melody speak to me? And these are all important as well, but I think these are, maybe some deeper considerations about what makes certain music work. Um, yes, with prosody, that is something um, I, I take very seriously, this relationship between music and words. It's just, first of all, it's something for us to marvel at, that we can take objective textual truth, and then we can marry it to an, ob- an objective I'm sorry, to a, a subjective uh, musical art form. Um, because with, with what I love about music, that it is, it is subjective that I can play something on the piano and it can communicate something else to us differently because music is metaphorical. So it's pulling at these different parts of our lives to, to kind of construct this idea of meaning. But then we think about with, with, with words, with poetry, or even with prose, I mean, it is, it is saying something very direct and concrete. And combining the two, uh, it, it creates a, a wonderful combination. And you can do that well, or you can do it poorly. And I've done it poorly many a time, but I, I, I really strive to do it to do it well. 
Yeah, so there's different different layers to that I and I might get to. I mean, first by start by highlighting an example of when I was not so aware of uh, of doing it well. Um, the way that we actually started Solos in the first place, uh, or Roman's album, came from when we were in, in North Carolina and uh, we were just joined a church there, and the pastor was preaching through Romans, and he found that I was I, I found out that I was a songwriter. And he said, "Hey, can you uh, can you write a song for the end of the doxology at Romans 11?" And I said, "Okay," because he's the pastor, and so you get to obey your pastor. <laughs> and so I I I, I remember he um, this is the Ode oh, the Depths doxology, which is wonderful text. And I was in my master's degree, and I I think like last minute threw together some song, uh, oh the depth song, which um, we put on our first our first album, church songs, uh, I'm sorry, not church songs, um, slave songs. But anyways, uh, it's and I, the song worked and they liked it, the church liked it. But looking back, there's some things that I'm kind of ashamed of. Uh, it's, uh, if you remember, if you've heard that song, but it just goes, oh, the depths of the riches. So there's the first kind of flaw in the melody there. And I, I say all this a little bit facetiously because most people, aren't aware of these shortcomings in the album and people will really like the song with the depth when I'm kind of like, Oh, I could have done a lot better. But just to illustrate, uh, what I would have done differently now is I would have think through, oh, the depth of the riches, the way that you say riches is the emphasis gets on the first syllable riches. And it's more of a descending. Now in music, we can break rules all the time. Rules, Rules are only only guideposts for us, and you have to have a good reason um, to go against that. And I'll maybe give you a good reason later on. But with that, it was it was it was me not being maybe very mindful because, as I said, I wrote this song fast. But oh, the depths of the riches, both of the both of so of gets the emphasis there based on its pitch wise. It's high up both of the wisdom, and it's nice. It's a nice little descending sequence that we have, so it works musically, and I can justify that if I if I wanted to. Wisdom and knowledge of God, all that's fine. How unsearchable, that's not how you say the word unsearchable, unsearchable are his judgments. So again, I, I should have flip-flopped, I should have done something like, how unsearchable are his judgments, little things like that, which get us into the realm of prosody where you can see how some people might say, ah, but the other melody's better. And I would agree, I like the melody and I think that's why I went with it. But as a composer, if you can get the words and the music to both be excellent, and where they both don't work against each other. Now we're talking. That's, I think, when we get into better craftsmanship with music, when you're not having to settle on either your lyrics or on uh, your music. So looking back, yes, things I, I think that's a great example I use for my students of showing that, hey, um, there's this is, uh, this is where I could have done better as a composer. And I think as I've learned more and more, I really strive to be I'm top-notch with that, and not that I, I always am, but I, I do take that seriously because it does elevate the music and it elevates and promotes clarity. And when you're writing worship music, whether it's presentational or congregational, we should care about clarity. God is not a God of chaos, but a God of order. And if you think about, I mean, 1 Corinthians 14, 15 is, just, is full of this of, you know, we should think about intelligibility. And so prosody is not just this, I don't know, this arbitrary standard where we need to con con uh, constrict music to text is that we care about text. We care about what the text is communicating and clarity should be high up on our priori 
priority list. Uh, intelligibility should be high up on a priority list because ultimately, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, it's for our edification. So yeah, I, I think that's, 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 uh, that's wise. Prosody is important. Um, I'll give you an example of um, when it's when it's appropriate to break it, because music is an art, and um, it's not. Uh, I don't know. There's there's many reasons to justify um, to deviate from the text. Uh, Shylin, I mentioned this before. He we co-wrote a song on Philippians, and he rapped it. And um, one of his his lyrics was just made me chuckle so much. It's uh, near the end of a verse, and he says something like. Uh, because I'm zealous, fellas, what you got to tell us. And he's creating these rhymes between fellas, zealous, uh, jealous, tell us. And then on the next line, he takes the word marvelous and he says it marvelous to extract the fact that the end of marvelous, when you, when you deviate from what the word is supposed to be pronounced, he creates this funny rhyme, this interconnecting. So it's creating this interconnectedness, which certainly trumps the need to have pronounced marvelous correctly. If we're going to get it, because we're going to think, wait, Marvellous, I've never heard that word before, and it creates intelligibility. So art is a lot more complex than just following a set of, of, guide, of guidelines, but it's, it is thinking about the interaction of that. And I can give other examples of people deviating from the norms of prosody, but absolutely right. That's, that's, I take it seriously. Um, the old, um, I guess, yeah, it's, it's a very wordy song. I remember that about the old and... Um, I can't remember the wordplay I was I was going after. Wordplay and puns are very important to me as a lyricist, and uh, yeah, trying to put all those all those those right. Uh, before I dig into, I guess, some thoughts on surprise. Anything you want me to follow up on about prosody or specifically about that? No, I, I think that's. I think that was it was uh, it was very enlightening. Um, I would probably say that Marvellus would be a, a great uh, example of surprise as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a, that was exactly what we were looking for. Okay. Well, one of the things that strikes me too, like uh, you borrow, especially in Hebrews, uh, you borrow a, a bit from other songs as well, which I don't know that that's a strict evidence of um, prosody necessarily. Uh, in the example that Brian shared earlier, where you used the surprise lyrically when Kelsey blurts on nothing but the blood of Jesus is yeah. borrowed there and you're, you're expecting that, but uh-huh. you're, you're playing off that too. Um, and you do it with Angels We Have Heard on High uh, earlier on in the oh, album. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which I think is, you know, more evidence that that is your Christmas album. But uh, <laughs> so is that an example also of prosody, or is that, um, is that a little bit different? Is that because it still seems like you're trying to drive home something with that interaction between the music is setting you up for something. Mm-hmm. And then, but the payoff, the surprise with the words uh, in the end kind of like uh, makes you snap and pay attention mm-hmm. uh, to, to that. Yeah, I, I tend to think about terms, prosody in terms of more microscopically in relationships of, of syllables, emphases, and how they relate to, to more melodic uh, ideas. But so with, with the topic of surprise, um, I would back up and say, I think it stems from there's a, a musical tool we, we, we call contrast. And when you write music, you can either, like once you've written four bars or something, you've got to figure out what to do with it, you, unless you want your song just to be four measures. And so you can either repeat it, or you can create variations, or you can embellish. But then at, at a certain point, we're going to get tired of repetitions. I'm sure that's a topic y'all have talked about a lot uh, with the 
the nature of y'all's, y'all's podcast, but repetition, you can only repeat so much. And so contrast comes in and it gives us a refresh, or just a, a fresh breath of something new related to it. And like if you listen to instrumental classical music, you get an A section and then the composer tends to give you a B section. And then A comes back and you get this ternary form, this ABA form, and it works so well because it gives us something, a statement, it's a contrasting element, and then this delayed repetition in which, ah, that feels good. Um, and that's what makes, I think, just what's just one of the, the components that makes music work on, on an instrumental level, especially. So contrast is, is great. And I, I think I, I revel, uh, I should say, I exult in the fact that music can be contrast and it can contrast unexpectedly. And so it, a lot of my musical language is, is characterized by these sharp turns in different directions. Uh, but I try to I try to set it up. I don't I, I try not to be just random about it. I think if it was random, then the listener's not going to follow along. But in such a way that I'm still tugging the listener along, and I'm just two or three steps ahead of the listener, and going in different directions. So I mean, the old is I think probably a, a good example of how I like to write music. But I you know you I, I wrote that first section which is about the tabernacle. And that's another example of uh, a prosody of breaking up the, the rules for, if you look back, Jack, to the tabernacle, I'm emphasizing tabernacle, which is not how you say the word tabernacle, but I'm, I'm creating these rhymes. Hip hop is actually very good at breaking rules for the sake of, 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 of other things. So, um, cause that's probably the closest I had before gotten to writing a hip hop song. Anyways, so you got that first section and the first section has to do with place. It's about how the old covenant is great, but ultimately it's less than the new covenant in terms of its, its place. And then the second section is, uh, so we go from place to time. Uh, and then we get into that repetitive loopy part. That's the, that's the time when I wanted to be repetitive, overly repetitive. But the contrast between those two, I think it should be very evident. You're going to this jazz swing. Uh, we're in G sharp minor there, but it's just very swung and fun and has this old old schoolness about it. And to this almost like digital loop that is played by real instruments. But I wanted, I wanted that to catch the listener off guard because, um, well, there's a, a few reasons. One, let me back up and say, if songs for a 27 track album and that lasts, I think, 90-something minutes or so, if you create too many closed cadences, it's like a movie coming to a close 13 minutes in, and then it comes to another close, you know, 30 minutes in. You have to, you have to always keep things open a little bit. Sometimes my songs will end like within a perfect authentic cadence. And it feels like, okay, we could stop here. But really, I, I've got to keep the door always open a little bit to say, because we're not to, we're not to chapter thirteen yet. At that point, we're in chapter what eight, nine, and so um, if you leave your cadences more open, or maybe the cadences don't even arrive if you change gears before you even reach to your implied destination, that's exciting to me. That means the listeners are going to keep listening and keep listening, and as opposed to just closing it off, closing it off. So then it goes into the second section about that loopiness. And the fun thing about that, I just, it's been a long time since I've, I've uh, written that, but I remember when we wrote that, I, I, Brian, you mapped out all the repetitions of them, but I tried to repeat it to the point where the listener is just about to turn it off because they're fed up with, with the repetition but not too far. And I remember I'd have arguments with uh, some of the other musicians about they're saying that's just too many repetitions. Like, no, one more, we can do one more. 
Uh, and I even made it lopsided. I can't remember if it was five or if it was seven on that last one, but I remember it was an odd number intentionally mm-hmm. because if it had been, because we call that an antecedent consequent, if it had been the the normal pairing of it and even numbers, it would have felt too closed. Or So I, I remember stealing one or adding an extra one so that when the kill the bull off or the green came back in, even that caught the listener off guard. And then it, it's, then it starts to unfold and, and kind of come to a close and it settles down into, um, again, again, and it yeah, kind of loops and loops. And then it goes into that third section, which again is contrasting into the sweetness, the warmness. I remember I brought in the woodwinds for what can wash away mm-hmm. my sins and had Kelsey sing it because you can't get a sweeter voice than Kelsey. And then, yes, then uh, the cello and the piano, they, they voice the, the response. It's in whole tone now. Um, so we go from the tonal E major environment to this rooted in C major whole tone scale. And so it is jarring and it's supposed to be jarring. And it's the line, not the blood of animals, because this is not, this is not, we haven't reached the destination. It's not what can wash away the sins, nothing but the blood of Jesus. We're setting us up for there. So you had to, to give the backdrop of why the new is so good. The old is just supposed to be this, just darkness, this tabernacle with moving tent. That's not sufficient over and over. We had to offer sacrifices. That's not sufficient to not the blood of animals yet. I had to still sacrifice the blood of animals over and over. So people don't understand this when they write songs, but sometimes you write songs to unsettle people, to make them feel not good about themselves. We, 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 we generalize, we think, oh, I just need to write a song that makes, that comforts people. There's a, there's a place for comfort. There's a place for um, getting into the glories of the gospel, which is the next song, the new. But in my opinion, if I wanted the glories of the new to really shine, I needed to paint a black enough backdrop of one, our sinful condition and two, how the old, couldn't uh, couldn't get us there. So yes, contrast is very important for music, uh, and this use of surprise is absolutely it's important to me. I think because uh, we have to stay ahead of our listeners. We don't want to be too far ahead of into distance and alienate listeners. But I I like to to just take them in different directions, to be adventurous, to be bold, to explore new areas and see how far along I can take them. You know, before they actually turn off the CD. Maybe they do that. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, one of my favorite moments in the album, uh, you do Peace on Earth and then A Conversation. Uh, a Conversation, again, one of my kids' favorites because they, they like the your guitar is an effectual type. Um, <laughs> but then it gets to the end and it gets into like the introduction for the next song and then... And then uh, and it just jumps right, to yeah. the ABCs of theology. And then later on... Uh, you actually circled back to that introduction. So if you, I think it was, uh, was it the death and Melchizedek that mm-hmm. if you yeah, listen to, if you listen to that right after a conversation, then you, you don't get any of the, the myths. It just leads one straight into the other. Mm-hmm. But, um, but you cut that off to say, hold on, hold on, hold on. This story is going to continue. Don't worry about mm-hmm. it. We're going to get back to it. But guys, you're drinking milk. Right. You know, we got to set some ground up before we can finish that story because mm, yeah. you guys are drinking milk. Yeah, it's just the the author of Hebrews, that's just what he does. He calls a timeout. He pauses his, his narrative. Uh, 
I'm sure y'all might have may seen the video that I, I posted about it, but I split Hebrews into exposition and exhortation. So yeah, you can cut out all the exhortation, the exposition all still works out. But I think it's it's vital that we don't skip all the exhortation because it's very important to the author of Hebrews. Um, yeah, he can't talk about <laughs> high priesthood and these differing lines until, yeah, he, he slaps him on the face and says, you're just acting like little kindergartners. Yeah. But then, but you're right, musically, I mean, that's all the all the nudge I needed to, 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 to be, to exaggerate the contrast. And that's what I wanted to do. It's the contrast is there. Stories are full of contrast. The, the, these epistles are full of, of contrast and surprise and witty rhetoric. And musically we just get, I get to exaggerate it and uh, kind of just blow it up out of proportion to, to help people understand the more subtle points that these authors are making. So on uh, Worship Ministry Catalyst, you wrote, Salos exists to provide the church with intentional artistic songs of worship. How do you hope that the church will use this music? Um, I mean, we were talking earlier too. Uh, a lot of it's not necessarily congregational in nature. Right. Um, so how do, you, how do you want the church to use your music? Yeah, I think when I, when I wrote that, I might have first of all had a foreseen us doing more congregational music than we ended up doing. But even though our our trajectory has changed a little bit in the nature of our music, I think it's that still rings true for for our mission. Um, I might I might capitalize church as capital letter church and think about it more as the universal first. And seeing how we want our music to, because I think the Lord has used our music more for the individual than maybe more for the corporate of, of believers. And we we get emails from people on how they they do use our our listening party packages that we have, where you know we 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 can send out the uh, the the lyric videos in full, and you can gather as a church on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night and watch it. And um, that is certainly a way that we we hope people still use them. We've also had people now trying to put on Hebrews uh, by themselves, and uh, which I just applaud their uh, their wanting to do that because Hebrews is it's very dif- difficult musically to pull off. Um, it, it goes through every single all twenty two uh, or all twelve tonal centers, um, so it's just not very it's not very friendly to the hands as they play. But we we do want churches to do that to to, to take and make it their own and and use it to encourage the people within their body. But I, I think the way that we, we've mainly witnessed people doing is just listening to it on Spotify or Apple Music or buying our CDs and it, it benefiting them and, um, and it being an example where they can, they can hear music and they can see that, that it is intentional, that there's a, there's, a, there's a plan in how we are mapping all this, now, all this out. It's not us just saying, oh, how do I feel today? Let me write a worship song about that. And that's okay. The Lord more moves us to write songs like that, but it is, um, it's artistic in that it's 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 we're trying to be craftsmen in how we write this. Um, we're trying to be I don't know. Uh, it's just it just there's there is an intentionality to everything we do. Uh, I think every direction that I go and as I write and as I think about even Philippians as as we're finishing this up now. Um, I don't know. I just, I just want to push the listener uh, in a certain direction to help them to understand what the letter's saying. Um, I I write these albums in terms of layers. And there, for all of our albums, there's multiple layers. There's the there's the the storyline of the narrative that Paul or the author is communicating. But then I um, extract all these various layers as well that help to create that composite story. 
And so, I don't know, I, I just hope that they it, it, it gives multiple listens to it. And I think that's what, I don't know, in my opinion, good art is doing. It's something that you can enjoy over and over again, that there's there's still more um, to uh, to be uncovered. Um, and one thing I'll, I'll say about the art idea, uh, I think Jeremy Begley was the first one I heard say that good art makes the familiar unfamiliar. And I, and I loved that description. I don't think that's necessarily all the times true, but um, but what it does speak about how good art takes something that we we know that we're familiar with, and it it makes it as if we've we've never heard it before. Like for example, as believers, we know the gospel. I mean, you you know the gospel forwards and backwards. You can explain it, articulate it uh, succinctly or at length. Um, and I think like even as a pastor, as, as pastors, that's what what they do is that they're they're trying to make the gospel. Get to give us this fresh revelation from Scripture, not from you know receiving it from my dream last night, but taking something that we've we've read these epistles before. And my goal, as I try to you know take Hebrews that you may may have read and maybe add a different perspective on it. And I I think that's me trying to make the familiar unfamiliar, um, not changing or altering anything, being faithful to the text. But we hope that people are benefited from that and that it maybe challenges them to think about um, what worship music is and to get them outside the box that worship music is only music I sing on Sunday mornings and nothing else. No, no, no. Uh, whatever music we listen to can be worshipful, whether it's, you know, whether it's ex- you know, explicitly Christian or as we just understand, listen to good music, listen to Beethoven symphony and think, how great is God? You know, this music just tells me that reminds me over and over that God is big, that he's majestic, um, that there's redemption, that almost all instrumental music is still pointing to the fact that there's tension and then there's release of this tension. And so instrumental music can't get away from that. So really we can broaden our, our perspective, our understanding of what worship music is. And uh, we're trying to, trying to do that in uh, in many ways, but yeah, I think I think that would maybe still ring true. I might articulate some things differently that how the Lord has shaped our mission more, but yes, we're all about creating artistic, intentional music for the church to use to be blessed by. Yeah, that's uh, that's really tremendous, and I know that uh, I personally have been uh, quite blessed by it, uh, just in the uh, repeated listening uh, to it and the uh, the way that you you take and handle that scripture. Oh, I want to talk Good. a little bit. More and I use Philippians as an example, uh, but the overarching theme there is you know Jesus our joy mm-hmm. is is a big theme anyway. Yeah, um, and I'm I'm just curious how will music help communicate those major themes of the book? And um, I mean you you do this in other ways too. It seems uh, through Romans and Hebrews and Jude. Mm-hmm. Philippians is very much about joy. Um, I think I agree with you. It's a major theme. I don't think it's Paul's main message. And it's interesting because like, if I, as I've studied Philippians, I think the thesis statement of Philippians is 127, where Paul says, uh, live your life uh, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ and being unified, all of these things. Um, what joy happens is it pops up in the seams of the letter. Like whenever Paul is pausing kind of between these, these different litanies that he's, these monologues that he's having, um, it's like, and remember, be joyful. 
And remember, be joyful. But I mean, it comes through this climax in chapter four, which is just, you know, it is, it's, it's fantastic how Paul challenges us and when we're anxious, rejoice. And then it gets deeper as he goes into contentment, whether I'm in prison or whatever it is, my, I'm content. You know, I can do all things through Christ, which doesn't mean what people think it means. That just means that whatever his circumstances, Paul has learned to be content. And so in tracing that, I think I, my approach has been to, um, in the same way that it occurs in the letter to let this G, this joy motive. And I've, I've, I've re, I, I, uh, it starts off with this abstract musical motive that then develops and becomes richer and richer as the music progresses through all of that. Um, but I, it's ultimately about trying to make Philippians a joyful letter. Uh, Jude was not a joyful letter all, all in all. It was meant to be more of a mysterious um yeah, probably more of a mysterious tone, but Philippians is is just joyful. It's easygoing. It's laid back. It's familial. Um, it doesn't take itself too seriously, and I I think that's that's part of humility. Yeah, is that you know we don't take ourselves too seriously. We can we can take rebuke. Um, we can be joyful at all times. Paul can be in prison and not be ashamed of himself that he's in prison. Is that he's he's content because you know he he's humble. Um, and so, yeah, that's, 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 that's kind of how I've approached joy. But you're right, in chapter four, though, when we get to that, that moment is when it really comes to full voice. And um, that, was, that was a fun song to write on that first part of chapter four. Well, we'll definitely be listening for that. And uh, will you be putting out any more of those behind the scenes videos uh, to go along with uh, Philippians then? Yes. Uh, my, so we're, I'm probably about halfway through the behind the scenes on Hebrews. That's how I got my start. Hebrews, there's just, there's so much there that I know people did not get. Um, and intentionally I was, I was just trying to leave Easter eggs all over the place. And so um, that one's been fun to kind of walk through all the hidden things. And um, yeah, so for our patrons on, on Patreon, there's tons of videos that we, that I've done so far. Uh, but I would like to do that for Jude because there's probably more to Jude than meets the eye. And then um, also with, with Philippians. Because, and the reason why I like doing it is first of all, it enriches the listening experience of it. Two, it enriches the reading experience of what we're trying to trying to do. We're trying to do a lot of this subtly, things that you don't know that are there, but it's the behind the scenes nuances that I think create these connections and make the experience uh, more, maybe more meaningful. But then three, it's just to show that, you know, just, I don't know if about y'all, but it, whenever I watch a movie that I really like, I always go to the bonus features. I always want to know how did, I want to tell me more about that process. And if I were a filmmaker, I'd want to say, well, then how can I make stories this, this compelling? And just so I, I do these behind the scenes videos because I want to encourage other songwriters and composers to uh, just to show that like, I'm trying to be a craftsman. I'm trying to be, I'm trying to think outside of the box. I'm trying to connect this song to this song five tracks later with this, you know, this, this, this little thread. Um, and just to, to encourage other composers and songwriters to be, I use the term a lot, this a lot, but to be adventurous and uh, to just don't write what comes easily that recognize that the stories, the movies that you like the most, even though they might seem simple, they're, they're just, they're so complicated. They're so elegant. Um, and not to say that our music is anywhere within that, in that category of thought, but at least we're trying, we're trying to, to write complex music and we're trying to be artistic and just to encourage other, other songwriters to, to do that. There's, I think scripture is beautiful and it is complicated. And sometimes our songs 
might need to be to take a bit more risks to, to try to get that payoff of helping us really understand what God is teaching us through the Bible. Absolutely. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, we're very excited to hear that. The educator in you really comes out in those. Okay. Uh, and you're, you're describing music theory. You're describing prosody and surprise and all these things that we've talked about tonight. Uh, and then connecting into the truth of scripture as you go. And it's, a, I don't know, it's very special to see that. Um, and I'm definitely with you on the bonus features thing. Like I always <laughs> am, uh, watch them all. Yeah, they're good. Uh, so we just have a little bit left. Um, one of my favorite videos that I have of yours is you, you were in a rest area in the middle of somewhere. Oh, yeah. And you played... Played an impromptu concert. Yeah, what was the story behind that? Yeah, we went we went to Detroit once for a uh, a Hebrews concert, um, and we it was just for one show. We never we never do this, but there's this church up in Detroit that just really wanted us to come, and it was our it ended up being our favorite concert that we've ever done. They were a very charismatic group, and they loved Hebrews, um, and they were. They were just, they were so into it. And, and I don't mean that like in a self-serving way, but they were just, they were with us at every song. You could just see them just worshiping. And it was so, it meant so much to us. But then at the end of that concert, um, I remember they asked us to do an encore of uh, Angel's Moment in the Sun. And uh, Thomas and Kelsey went down into the audience and we just played it and they sang it, the entire thing. And they just knew all the words. And I don't know, it was just a very special concert. So we went there and it was it was just like a very rough drive. And uh, then we came back. And when we came back, we entered into Tennessee again, coming from Kentucky. And um, I don't know, we just stopped at a rest area to stretch our legs. And I, I had the group just, I remember I woke up Thomas like right when we got there and I just put a mandolin in his hand and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and I think we ended up playing uh, the song "Wondered," if I remember correctly. Da dun da dun da dun da, and it was just fun. Yes. Uh, we, you know, Solos. We're not really a band per se. It's because we don't. I mean, it's, we're a rotating group of musicians with Thomas and Kelsey more more stable. Um, but I just, I'd love that little group moment for us to have and to make a little video. Yeah, we just so we just weren't into the. We went into that uh, that Tennessee Welcome House. And uh, we just filmed a video of us playing, and it was it was fun. They're just they're so talented too. I just said play, and they just <laughs> they just start playing, and I'm just blessed by by great musicians like that. Yeah, well, I I could tell that the janitor, security guard, uh, whoever it was in the background was was uh, pretty like at once <laughs> uh, bemused and at the uh -huh. same time like this is very unnatural. Yeah, uh, but it was yeah, it's a great moment like I. I, I just have this picture of you all on the road together and uh, pulled over at this and you're like, what do we do? Well, we're going to play music because we're musicians this is what we and do. this is what we do. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a good memory. I do have just a couple, a uh, couple final questions. One of the things that we ask all of our guests, what are, what is a Psalm or multiple Psalms that have been uh, personally meaningful to you? I, the one that comes first to mind is Psalm 127. And I think it's because um, this is where I'm, I'm weak. You know, Psalm 127 speaks about how, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain, watching the city. And I think my, one of my biggest weaknesses is that um, sometimes having this mindset of trying to do it myself. Um, 
and having to pause and ask the Lord, you know, to help help me with with these these projects uh, with solos, and recognize ultimately, you know, despite all my labors, um, one we may not even finish, and or two maybe it'll just be a complete flop, and just remembering that, and so that psalm always is there to to remind me um, that ultimately the Lord's in control and the finishing of, of any any work. Uh, he's the one who makes it good. Uh, and so yeah, I love Psalm 127. It's 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 just a it's a it's a, it's a sweet one. And uh, I think the Lord just uses it to convict me where I need conviction. It's good. So um where can people go to find you? How can people support you? Uh, and just, do you have website, um, Patreon, and all that, yeah. that good stuff? We do have a website. Uh, it's www.solos.com. And Solos is spelt with a silent P. So it is P-S-A-L-L-O-S, solos.com. You can just look us up on any search engine as well. Uh, so that website will contain a lot of uh, useful resources for you. You can learn more about who we are as a group. Uh, it does have all of our songs on there. You can listen to them um, on the website if you'd like. You can buy CDs and merchandise, songbooks, sheet music is all available on our online store. Um, ways to contact us. Uh, it'll just, we'll just send an email. It'll probably come just directly to me. And uh, so yeah, check us out on the website and you can explore that. We also do have a Patreon account and that has been a, a, a great blessing to us. When we did Hebrews, I tried to do a, a Kickstarter and because I knew that we needed to raise money. And I, let me back up and say, when we did Romans, we had zero money for, for Romans. And it was my wife and I just dipping into all of our savings to make this album come come to fruition because we believed it and in it. And but we realized that moving forward we would need support. And so we did the Kickstarter with with Hebrews and that was great. Raised um somewhere like eleven thousand dollars for for that, which was awesome. But running those campaigns is just exhausting. So Patreon is great. If Patreon, if you like our music, if you'd like to support us or learn more about us, we do have these uh, kind of special rewards for our patrons. It's a monthly pledge system. And I think for the first tier is $4 a month. You can get access to certain things. And then you could pledge $10 a month if you wanted to. And upwards from there, it unlocks more and more rewards for you. But that's that's been so important for us, having um, a stream of money that we can quasi depend on because people can, can tr- of course, change their mind. But these albums are, um, they take two years for each one to create and uh, just a lot of, of time and energy. So yeah, they're, we're very grateful for our patrons. Um, we tell them that all the time that without them, we, we can't do it, what we, what we, um, what we want to do. And so if you'd like to check us out there, I think it's just patreon.com slash solos. And then you can find that as well through our website. And we are of course on social media, Facebook, um, Twitter, though I don't use Twitter much. It just seems like a dark place to be <laughs> for me personally. So, uh, but social media, we're there. We make posts, and uh, you can you can find us somewhere. I'm sure. Fantastic. Thank you, Cody. We've uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you for, Likewise, for coming yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. I just want to say thank you as well. Um, and our listeners will really enjoy this. You know, it's uh, it's it's a blessing to be able to hear a lot of the backstories and the strategies and and just to kind of almost meet a person. Uh, you know, as close to face-to-face as possible. So I, I believe the listeners will really enjoy that you came on, and thank you so much. Yeah. 
Well, it's 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 been a pleasure to to do this. I'm glad y'all are y'all are setting time aside to discuss important things like this. Music is um has always played an important role in the church and it's something that should be talked about and we should be guarded about the type of music that, you know, is in here and um so this is great work and I'm I'm just overjoyed to be a part of it. So, thanks mm-hmm. for having me. It's our pleasure. Absolutely. All right. So as we uh, as we close, I would just like to end by saying, what can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is a bomb in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a bomb in Gilead to heal the sin. to the Balming Gilead podcast. We love hearing from you, so email us at thereis at balmcast.com. We are a part of the Tech Reformation family of podcasts, and you can discuss our show and much more at slack.techreformation.com. We'll see you there. If you enjoyed the Balming Gilead podcast, please encourage others to listen. We value your feedback So rate, review, and recommend the show in your podcast app of choice. And with that, we'll see you next time on the Balm in Gilead podcast. What can wash away my sin? Not the blood of animals.